everyone, and welcome to the Positive Talk Podcast with co-hosts Julie Homridge and Chuck Allen. They are in Season 2, Merging Faith and Psychology, and you picked a great day to join in the conversation. At Positive Talk Podcast, a licensed therapist and a pastor join voices to help us all discover a more peaceful and purpose-filled life. So settle in and join Julie and Chuck for this week's episode of the Positive Talk Podcast. Hi, everybody. It's a great day to find an encouraging and positive word here at the Positive Talk Podcast. Last week, Julie, we jumped into meltdowns in our children. Right. And um, the reception to that was really amazing. Uh, Apparently, we struck a nerve. It's something that we all deal with. It's a thing, right? Yeah, it's a a real thing. And I've, I've dealt with it. And it's it's fascinating to me because today we're going to discuss some of the nuances that are inevitable in parenting a child through a meltdown. Yeah, it's a little more of the how, I would think. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking a little, uh, for our audience sake, uh, before we recorded about how um, you have all these different kind of brands that we put on parenting mm-hmm. and how sometimes those brands literally go to war with one another. Yeah. Uh, but in this particular show, one of the things we want to focus on really is how do we help that child best? Right. So, you know, in the sense of trying to be a, a, a successful parent, which I think is almost oxymoronic, but um, <laughs> at least, parents. yeah, yeah they, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling to find that word. No, I get it. Yeah. So, so we want to help you identify your parenting style mm-hmm. and provide a radical shift in how you approach power struggles with your kids mm. and really hopefully educate you on what to do if you haven't parented this way in the past and maybe you're just starting today. So Julie, let's jump in and start with these two words that I think every parent resonates with, power struggles. Yes. So power struggles can be incredibly frustrating. Um, and I think to discuss power struggles, we need to, to back up a little bit and start with boundaries. And in order to talk about boundaries, I think we need to talk about um, different parenting styles. So when we think about this, you know, we don't want to be permissive parents, right? It's just we let our kids do whatever. As we mentioned last week, boundaries help kids feel safe. So when you're small and you're inexperienced in this big world with lots of options, as kids are, having a loving adult who is bigger and with more experience than you, helping set limits for you, that's comforting, right? Right. Even if a child, and this is key, even if a child doesn't recognize that in the moment, because they might not when they're not getting what they want, right? right? They might push back quite a bit. Um, This type of pushback is evident in which age, which age groups do you think most, Chuck? Oh boy. So uh, having gone all the way through adult parenting Mm -hmm. now, I, I would probably say the little toddler age mm-hmm. is where you, you go to war. Yeah. But having had um, six adolescents. <laughs> at once? Well, four at once. <laughs> yeah, yeah wow. four at once. I, I would argue that, that you really haven't parented until you've parented a, a 16-year-old. teenager, yeah. So toddlers and teens. Yeah, absolutely. That is true. Yeah, yeah. And interestingly, brain scans actually show that there are a lot of similarities in the brain during these two phases of life. Oh, wow. So those are two crucial times when the brain is both building new neural networks and pruning the ones that aren't being used. That makes so, a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. So it would make sense. It sometimes 
feels like your teenager is acting like a toddler. Right, yeah. Or I've heard this a lot in my mom circles. Your three-year-old might become what we affectionately call a, a three-nager. <laughs> yes, where they want to be a teenager and they're three. Oh, my gosh. How many times have we heard things like um, your child really does need and prefer to have boundaries and borders, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But I liked how you phrased helping set limits for that child is actually comforting yes, to the, the child. Yes, it is. Yeah. And so I, it, I think it may be helpful for parents to realize that you're, you are not alone in this struggle. If, no. if you are a parent, you have been here. Mm-hmm. If you are a parent of a, of a little one, you will be here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's inevitable. Children, adolescents, adult children, they all have meltdowns. And I know this to be true. Um, it, it still occasionally happens with my adult children mm-hmm. Yeah. where it's the call dad. Um, or like in, in one of my daughter's cases, it sounds more like this because she's deeply Southern daddy, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's how it starts. But back to the power struggle, it is wired within just our humankind that it happens, right? Yeah, yeah. Power struggles are inevitable, and they can happen at any age. Yeah. And the first step in reducing them is to identify your particular parenting style, because we're going to talk about how our parenting style can either um, increase or decrease power struggles. Mm -hmm. So like I mentioned, we don't want to be permissive. I think sometimes permissive parents are so fearful of our child's reaction or even what they think of us that we don't actually parent them. So I had an experience like this the other day, and my son was um, kind of talking back about a situation that he didn't um, and I mean talking back, like actually talking back, not when people say you're, yeah. you're talking back. Right, right, yeah. Um, he was explaining to me about a situation that he felt like he didn't like the boundaries. And um, I just, uh, you know, I, I empathize with him, but I said to him, you know what, I care more mm-hmm. about your well-being than whether or not you like me in this moment. That's so good. Um, and it's hard, you know, it's hard because we want our children to like us. Um, but I think a cool fact about parenting is that even though, you know, our kids eventually do grow up and like you're experiencing this now, um, where parenting takes a different role, uh, the, the phase of like kind of zero to 18, it's kind of a clear phase. And so when psychologists do research on this, they actually have a clear start and ending point in which to research and determine which parenting style actually produces the best results. One of the things I love about this show is that um, you... You are a therapist, but you really like to dig into research. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. to be able to have real, actual starting, stopping data Mm -hmm. should help us as a parent recognize where we can improve, but also where we're killing it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I think sometimes we are so caught up in the moment in parenting, it's hard to take a step back and think, okay, how is this actually contributing to the future of our family, right? Right. And research helps us do that. Um, So I think every family will be different in how they live out these particular parenting styles. But research does show that there are overall, um, we kind of group it into three types of parenting. So there's the authoritarian style. There's the authoritative style, which I don't know why they made those sound so similar because they get very Yeah, for a guy like me that could twist up words, that (sighs) is problematic. Me too. And then the third style is permissive. So authoritarian, 
authoritative and permissive. So uh, I think it would be helpful if you could break those three down, yes. recognizing they all probably have um, subsets and blends. And mm -hmm. my guess is a lot of this has to do with consistency as well. Yeah, yeah. But, but to help us understand these three uh, types of parenting, can you give us a, the layman's version and description of what is authoritarian, what what is authoritative, and what is permissive. Yeah, and I would encourage our listeners to, to take a minute as I'm discussing these and see not only what which kind of camp you fall into in general, but maybe also which way you were raised um, right, as right. well, because that can help inform us. So I'm going to start with authoritarian, okay? So this is a parenting style that has high structure and high boundaries, mm -hmm. um, but also low levels of warmth and support. Yeah. Okay. okay I get this. So it's kind yeah. of that children are seen, not heard type of parenting. Yeah, is, is this, um, uh, this is a broad brush, but this is kind of a, because I said so. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's kind of heavily focused on obedience over relationship. Right. 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 And now decades of research does not support this parenting style. And here's why they've actually been able to see what this parenting style can, can cause in children. It leads to a sense of blind compliance, mm -hmm. um, which yes, you want your child to, you know, obey you without question when they're young, but you don't necessarily want them to obey those teenagers who are right. peer pressuring right. them without yeah. question when they're older. Um, it leads to mental health struggles and difficulty with vulnerability and emotional awareness. So when I, uh, when, when I heard you describe this, um, I immediately thought about my mom. Mm -hmm. So my mom grew up in a very high authoritarian home. Mm -hmm. and, and some of that was generational. Right. right. Oh, yeah, for sure. But because of that, my mom was a blind, compliant person. Mm -hmm. And I watched her and be such a subservient person mm -hmm. in my home growing mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. that literally there were times where I would just say, Mom, Speak up for Speak yourself. Speak up for yourself, yeah. She just couldn't As do it. As a kid, you could even see that. Yeah, she just yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because in those formative years, if, you know, we are relying on our parents for our basic needs, mm -hmm. and if they're saying, if you speak up, I'm going to, you know, kind of right. pull that, right, right. that away from you. That's scary, right? Yeah, So we yeah. learn um, not to speak the, up. The concept of having difficulty with vulnerability and emotional awareness, that alone should give us cause to pause for a moment and think, am I an authoritarian you know, mm -hmm. kind of leader in my home. Yeah. And yeah. I wonder, uh, just so give me your therapeutic advice here. Do you think that this is a, uh, do you think this has something to do with gender? In other words, do, does a dad have a greater tendency to be more authoritarian or at least perceive himself mm -hmm. to be more authoritarian mm -hmm. than a mom? Yeah, I think it does depend on not necessarily the gender, but the gender role that you yeah. bring into the into the home. So, I think in general, um, dads tend to feel like, okay, it's my job to, you know, set and enforce the structure. You know, right. if, yeah. particularly if they are more focused on that. Um, you know, in their work environment, mm -hmm. they might bring that home, you know? Yeah. Like my, my dad's phrase was always, um, not only because I said so, but it was also my house, my rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think sometimes people are very scared, um, to allow their children to have input in the home. Right. And that leads to this authoritarian style because they're scared of, of, kind of swinging the pendulum to the other side, mm -hmm. which is permissive parenting. Yeah, so yeah, we're yeah. going to talk about 
that next. Um, and I think, you know, if we look at this, these are kind of two different um, extremes. So the permissive style of parenting is when the parent seeks to be a child's friend mm. and maybe they're so fearful of their child struggling um, they might allow their child to run the show. Right. They have a lot of discomfort with their child having um, any kind of uncomfortable emotions. They right. want to rescue them from that immediately. But what this does is it leads children to feel ill-equipped for the challenges of life. Right. Um, and this is what's really interesting to me. It's actually also... Um, ironically, not great for a child's self-esteem. Because mm. if you think about it, if you're constantly doing things for your child that they could learn to do for themselves, and if you're not allowing them to persevere through struggles, mm. you are sending a subtle message to your child that you believe they're incapable of rising to that challenge. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. I think um, permissive parenting starts with a good intent. Mm-hmm. Sure, right. as does authoritarian. Absolutely. I think it can grow into something that is completely out of control. Mm -hmm. And I love this last phrase because with, without a child experiencing some degree of struggle, mm -hmm. coping skills never happen. No. Like no. I, I know there are enough studies out there now that since the advent of the smartphone, yeah, that children literally lack the ability to determine what do I do next because it's a simple ask a friend, a parent, uh, a sibling, or or the masses, what should uh -huh. I do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And a lot of this can be rooted in parental anxiety. Mm. You know, we are anxious about um, about our child struggling. Um, and as can authoritarian parenting, we are anxious that our child um, is going to go out of the lines. Um, right. So therefore, there's, there's a controlling structure there. Now, the third style of parenting, which is consistent with positive outcomes long term, is authoritative parenting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is um, high boundaries, right? Coupled with high levels of warmth and support, right? Okay, so this is what I, what I mean by this. It's reflected in boundary setting, like mm -hmm. we discussed last mm -hmm. week, but also validating the feeling that the child might have in that moment, which is the support. Um, setting the limit, right. uh, which is, you know, a form of boundary and a form of support. Because remember, boundaries help kids feel safe. That's right. Mm -hmm. And then keeping that limit, um, which is also a form of, you know, having boundaries. And then giving choices to the child, which helps increase their autonomy and sense of confidence that they can make decisions. Which, which is an ultimate goal. Right. Right. So it sounds to me like authoritative. I said that right. Correct. Authoritative. Yeah. Authoritative parenting is characterized by reasonable demands and high responsiveness. Yes, absolutely. Right? So authoritative parents might provide their children the resources and support that they need to succeed, mm -hmm. desiring um, independence, mm -hmm. but instilling a sense of support and safety. And here's the keyword, simultaneously and consistently. Yes. And it's interesting because we all want our kids to be independent. Yeah. The research shows that dependence in a healthy way as they're young and as they're growing fosters independence in the long run. Yeah. I love that. I, because if I could keep that in front of me as mm -hmm. a parent, mm -hmm. then I really can see the end from the beginning. Right. And I can make choices that are 
okay, it's not about what other parents think about me. This is about what I know is best for my child. For my child. That's massively important. Yeah, that's the big that's the big picture here. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that from a pastor's perspective, like Grace, it feels like you could almost replace the term authoritative with grace-based parenting. Yes. Yeah, yes, it's, you could. It's not about your way, but the best, what, best way for your little individual, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So regardless, boundaries are a good thing, but... Here's the encouragement. Power struggles like grace demand more of us, not less. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, w- let's recognize that they're there, that they're built within our humanity. Mm-hmm. They are there for a purpose and a rhyme and a reason. And some of that is to help clarify boundaries and provide warmth and support. Mm-hmm. Right? In terms of power struggles? Yeah. Yeah. And so anytime we set boundaries, especially in a parent-child interaction, and especially Mm -hmm. with certain temperaments, your child's temperament um, matters in this as well, there is the opportunity for those power struggles. Um, Power struggles happen a lot in authoritarian parenting styles, that first style we talked about, um, because it's based on that premise, because I said so, right? Right. So there's Mm -hmm. little room for collaboration. Now, surprisingly, Chuck, power struggles can also happen in permissive parenting um, because the child, they might be confused uh, when a parent actually sets a clear limit because they're so used to the parent letting the child run the show uh, that they're kind of like, whoa, this this is throwing me off right now, right? Um, Power struggles happen in in all parenting styles. So, and temperament matters here as well. I think our culture used to use the word Mm strong-willed to describe kids who tend to push back on parental limits. Um, I like to reframe that as (laughs) self-directed. Well, that sounds better. That's a positive approach to this. We're here on the Positive Talk podcast. Um, From a positive strengths-based perspective, these kids, they do have a highly developed drive and ability to direct themselves, right? Right, They're self-directed. Now, our role as parents isn't to break their spirit, but rather teach them how to receive influence from others, how to respect authority, how to, you know, practice humility. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> I think helping self-directed kids become teachable, it's not an easy task, but no, it is no, no, no. possible. I would, I would say that as a child... I would have been labeled in my generation as a strong-willed child. Me too. My yeah. aunt used to tell my mom I was a little pistol. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that, that means. Is, but... That is a term we use a lot. You know, for, pistol? Yeah. Like my generation, would, if, if you had a strong female, like six daughters. I mean, I've got, <laughs> I've got some daughters that are just like wildly, independently strong. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, it would be easy to say, well, she's a little pistol, uh-huh. which sounds really kind of <laughs> sassy, doesn't it? Yeah, it just, yeah, yeah. I but was, was but a it's not a good term in many ways. But I, so I, I was the rambunctious uh-huh. one. Yeah. But I look back now and, and in some of what my parents did well was they did allow that um, ingenuity or yes. uh, energy or I, I suppose you look at it now and say it was cre- it was not just creativity, but it was curiosity. Yeah, and, and innovation. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and those are skills that serve you very well now Absolutely. as an adult and Absolutely. a pastor and a, yeah. and a speaker and a business owner. So um, I think that you know we can reframe that, um, and that can be really helpful. So if you, as a parent, if you find yourself prone to power struggles, I think the first thing to do is... To start with, consider your beliefs about your competence or Mm -hmm. your insecurity as a parent. Um, So this foundational belief in any power struggle, I think, is for the parent to start from a place of presumed 
competence. Now, Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is that when your child starts questioning your authority, it's easy to get worked up and feel like you have to drill down harder to prove to them that you're in control, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So at the beginning of a power struggle, I encourage parents to kind of pause Take a deep breath and sort of repeat to yourself this mantra, I am the parent, I don't need to prove it. Right. Because a lot of power struggles are about parents feeling like this kid is not recognizing my authority (laughs) and then then that becomes the issue rather than the real issue. Um, I think this level of confidence helps you actually problem solve Mm -hmm. in the moment Mm -hmm. instead of repeatedly trying to exert some sort of control because your child's pushing your buttons. Right, right. Right. You're the parent. You're in authority. You don't have to prove that. Yeah, the the it's it's inevitable. But to try and spend the energy on proving you're right. Yeah. Is is I mean that is a no win yeah. scenario. So say say my favorite quote that you say about being right and making okay. So right. don't spend <laughs> your, don't spend your energy proving you're right. Make things right. Yes. Yes, and that's so good in parenting yeah. as well. So I noticed that your first encouragement for a parent is to stop and take a breath. Right. And th- and while that sounds so silly in the moment, mm. it is essential. It is essential. To stop in that moment and recognize, you know, this is such a spiritual battle as well as a physical and psychological one. Training ourselves to stop and gather kind of a quick intel Mm -hmm. on what's really going on allows us to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is I want to help and support and grow my child in a healthy way, Mm -hmm. not use my energy to prove, you know, by golly, I'm right. Yeah. 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 Well, I think when we up the ante to control, it makes things worse. And so instead of really focusing on control, one thing we can do is with healthy boundaries, seek to collaborate. Love that. Um, You know, this is where Jesus gives us this example. You know, the greatest in the kingdom is a servant, right? right. It's not about exerting your control. Um, Another thing that you can do um, when you're in a power struggle with a child, we have this framework in the therapeutic world called motivational interviewing. Mm -hmm. Now, this is for older, probably older children um, who have this capacity to understand their motivation. But when you really stop and pause and start to understand the child's motivation for change or for stagnation for staying the same, um, then you have more information to be able to kind of be a detective and and then help your child verbalize mm-hmm. both their motivation for change and what's holding them back. So when you do this, instead of just saying, because I said so, that's why you mm-hmm. do it. Um, and, the, and the outcome might still be the same, Chuck. They might sure. still have to do what they have to do, right? Absolutely. It's not It's not right. saying you just get to go and do whatever you want to, child. But you're understanding the motivation and you're helping them practice problem solving. This is helping them yes. learn how to do this for themselves. And then they can start to do it as they get older. They will do it with themselves. They will I do think it with I others. Think if I could, and, you know, Julie, seriously, I, this, I, I had to jump in here. I really do believe if I could, if I could go back mm-hmm. and I could relive my parenting mm-hmm. years, I think this concept of instilling problem solving yeah. would become one of my highest priorities. Yeah. You know, like, okay, it's one thing. Sometimes you really, it really is, but you're going to do this. Yeah. Right. right. And sometimes you have to. Right. I mean, if it's a safety issue, if, if it's just something that they, that's a good skill for them to learn too, how to do things they don't want to do. That's right. right. But in that, there's always an opportunity to, to get to the why. Yeah. 
Yeah. And if I could do one thing all over again, it would be, okay, how do I help my little one mm-hmm. get to, I think, I think you use self-regulation a, mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. In my world, it would be, how do I help you learn to solve these problems? Because yeah. this is a complex world. Right. And the sooner I can help you kind of get to those whys on your own, yeah. the, the, it feels like, you know, the world's not going to get easier, but it is much more simple and easy to, to live with. And you're equipping them to face that yeah, complex yeah. Yeah, world yeah, yeah. Um, by teaching them problem solving yeah. um, instead of that authoritarian style of, you know, um, I'm not going to teach you how to think. I'm going to tell you what to think. Right. That's yeah, more of yeah. the authoritarian. So what does that mean, though, for um, like our human sensory needs? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that it's also important to recognize that, you know, we're in a fast-paced culture right, right now. Right. Um, sometimes we forget about our body's basic needs, our children's basic needs. Yep. Um, man, if I could go back, um, I think I would pay more attention. And again, my kids are, are still relatively young, but especially in those early years, I would pay more attention to, am I missing something simple here? Mm-hmm. Are they hungry? Are they thirsty? Are they comfortable? What's the temperature level? Are they desiring connection right now? You know, yeah. sometimes when people say children are attention seeking, I would actually pause and say, okay, so, you know, we'll teach them how to ask for that in a different way. Right. But they're still needing connection in this moment, Absolutely. right? What's Absolutely. the basic thing? Um, one thing that I've found really helpful in power struggles with with kids, and this sounds very simple, but um, you can do a change of scenery, right? Yeah, and it gets their brain in a different mode. Um, I heard a, a mom say one time, the best solution when we get in these meltdown modes is just add water, right? They put a child in a bath. They put a child, you know, outside um, yeah. and play in the sprinklers. There's something about that that can really kind of shift the perspective. Um, now, the last thing I want to mention, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this, Chuck, is um, how to eliminate or reduce, because I probably reduce would be the better word, uh, power struggles mm. by focusing on natural consequences for your child, <laughs> not punitive ones, natural ones, right? Okay, so uh, so I have, I think our listeners who have been around a while know I have six daughters. Mm-hmm. So I've experienced, you, you name it. I've done it. So uh, our youngest daughter decided mm-hmm. she was like in third grade. Yeah. And she decided she will, wanted to wear an Elvira wig mm-hmm. to school every cool. day. Yeah. Oh, every day? <laughs> every day. I don't, I'm not talking about just like Halloween yeah, dress up yeah, day. Yeah. I'm talking about every, every day. day. Okay. So we just decided, you know, we're not having this argument. Mm-hmm. So if you want to wear the Elvira wig, just knock yourself out. Yeah, so finally, though, Sam comes home after about a week uh-huh. of wearing Elvira yeah. and takes it off. And I notice her throw it in the trash can. Uh-huh. And I'm like, what the heck? You <laughs> what know? happened? Yeah. And so she just finally said, you know what? And she tells her friend's name yeah. and says, they finally looked at me and said, you look so stupid. <laughs> and and I thought, okay, you know. Okay. Natural consequence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then, so one of our daughters who's now you know, a mom herself, yeah. uh, she had this monkey sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that she's early middle school, uh-huh. right? We're talking like sixth grade, yeah. you know? And so, I mean, things are funky anyway, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, but she school. loves this monkey sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just stop and say, it was one of the ugliest things known to mankind, <laughs> yeah. right? It was Does just, she still have it? I hope it, not. I hope you have pictures of it, though. Uh, we do have pictures, okay. absolutely. Good, good, good. Because we kid her about it every Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but funny. she wore this for probably 
probably 30 days straight. I mean, Jen washed it every (laughs) day, you know, until finally she gets invited to go to a school dance. Mm -hmm. And the kid inviting her says, but don't wear the monkey Monkey sweatshirt. (laughs) Natural consequences. Natural consequences. One more. So my daughter, who is now 32 and a mom of two, Mm -hmm. refused to wear a coat. Totally refused to wear a coat mm-hmm. because she was so cool. She could not that wear was me. I a, never coat, wore a coat, right? So we decided, we thought this was brilliant. Mm-hmm. We would go to, this is park near where we lived called Stone Mountain here outside uh-huh. of Atlanta. Yeah. And we would hike up the mountain, mm-hmm. right? So naturally she's like, I'm not wearing a coat. Mm-hmm. But it is like 38 degrees oh, and windy. Yeah. yeah. And she was freezing, freezing. And none of us would share the coat. With well, her. It's a, it's a natural consequence. Yeah. So, but you know what I discovered is Elvira, the monkey, and the coat, mm-hmm. it was so much easier for them to learn that because they weren't going to learn it by just my words. Yes, they were learning it from their experience. Yeah. And just in the past week, one of my children, we live near some woods, and one of my cho- uh, children was mad, and he said, oh, I'm upset uh, a boundary. He said, oh, I'm, I'm going to go s- sleep in the woods. So I'm like, okay. So I went and walked out by the woods while he kind of stood there, and I got my steps in. You know, I was walking back and forth. I texted my friend who's a neighbor. I'm like, I'm not stalking you. I'm just <laughs> walking back and forth right now while my child learns that he's actually not going to sleep in the right. woods, right? Yeah. So. He comes running over to me maybe 20 minutes later, and he's like, Mom, he's like, I heard something in the woods. And he's like, it wasn't an animal. There were footsteps. I heard a cadence. And I was like, probably not a good idea to sleep in the woods. He's like, let's go home. You know, natural concert. He's figuring it out for himself. That's a good thing. So I think, you know, one one thing that we miss in the moment is that, You know, when we're worked up, it's kind of difficult to problem solve. And I think that's, you know, in in the woods example, I was going to go one of two ways. I was going to say, no, you're not going to the woods. You're going to your room, you know. Or I was going to say, let's let this play out and him figure out for himself that that's not a good idea. Right. 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 Um, I think in the heat of the moment, if we aren't, if we don't do that pause, like you said, Chuck, um, problem solving, it doesn't happen. You know, we either fight our kid or we just are like, I'm done. And we flight, you know, we're just like, can't handle this. And sometimes it's okay to take a break. Right. Right. That's right. Um, But not giving up completely (laughs) for the entirety. Um, Or we become immobilized or frozen or we become anxious. And I think this is why we struggle a lot with power struggles right before church or right before school or at bedtime. Um, because we're just not at our best. We're all worn right. out yep. or we're feeling rushed and we're trying to problem solve in the heat of the moment. But what's interesting is that uh, for the most part, problems that we experience in the heat of the moment, even though in the moment we feel overwhelmed, they are pretty predictable sometimes. I mean, we've seen them happen mm-hmm. over and over again. Yep. If it's every Sunday, if it's every night at bedtime or even the majority of nights. So why do we continue to get stuck in these power struggles in the heat of the moment, thinking, okay, this time suddenly we'll have the capacity to come up with a plan that's different. Um, Now, you mentioned problem solving earlier. Dr. Ross Green, he created something called the CPS model. And it's really, it's collaborative problem solving is what he calls it. And he's an expert on how to deal with power struggles. Mm. And he does something really fascinating, Chuck. He actually invites us to shift our paradigm and view our children's challenging behaviors as unmet expectations that we have for them plus our child's undeveloped 
skilled. That is so good. So we mix those two together. If you think about it, okay, a child melts down at bath time every night. It doesn't mean they're a bad child or you're a bad parent. It just means they haven't yet mastered the skill of transitioning into bath time or nighttime activities, Right, right. right? But if we look at it that way, then we're not operating from a punitive punishment standpoint. We are operating from let's build this skill. Mm-hmm. Let's help you practice how to transition better. Um, and once we've identified that lagging skill, then we can work to um, help build it back up in right. our kids. Yeah, yeah. So, Well, but I love this concept of lagging skills. skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and the need for us to be aware of them because they can be moving targets. Yeah. You know, depending mm-hmm. on what's happening in in, you know, the the environment that you're in, right. etc. But when I think about this just for a parent, you you really aren't failing if you're in a difficult situation, you're just parenting. Yeah, and I think sometimes if we view them as lacking skills, um it helps us stay emotionally regulated instead of kind of judging our child or judging ourselves. I don't know about you, but I struggle a lot with, oh my gosh, maybe just, I'm just a bad parent or maybe I just, you know, I don't, I don't understand this or whatever. Um, so I would turn that inward on myself. And I think it's really helpful to remind parents, you are not helpless to support your child in difficult behaviors, but it does start with shifting that goal from controlling yep. the yep. behaviors to supporting the child to build those skills that they haven't mastered yet. Yeah, that's so good. So one of these in in the list of, of these things, and if you're interested in this, you'll notice there's a button on our website, positivetalkpodcast.com, where you can click and leave us a voicemail on a topic. And maybe you want to know more about these lagging skills. Mm-hmm. And if so, let us know and we'll send you this list. But I know in my own family, one of them is with one of our girls, the difficulty in expressing concerns or needs or thoughts in their words was really a, a reflection of a difficulty shifting from their original idea or their plan or their solution. Transitioning. Yeah. So like we thought it was a brilliant idea when we only had two left in the house to surprise them one morning getting ready to go to school. Hey, pack, we're going to Disney. Mm-hmm. And one of our girls just had a complete meltdown because yeah. that wasn't the original plan. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't the picture. And we could, we could approach that one of two ways. You ungrateful child. Right. Right. Or wow, she is having a hard time shifting her picture of what she thought today was going to look like. Right, right, so right. let's, you know, because chances are once she went, she was probably pretty excited Loved and grateful. It. Absolutely. It just, she had trouble mm-hmm. with that transition. Mm-hmm. So, but that required some, uh, rather, rather than directing a, a thought of, well, you're just so ungrateful. It, it caused a, a reparenting mm-hmm. on our part mm-hmm. is like, Oh, but wait a minute. Okay. This is simply a symptom of something that's lagging. Yeah. So let's try to fill backfill this a little bit. Yeah. Well, and I think I would encourage our listeners to think about think about the last power struggle you had with your child mm-hmm. in light of this framework. Okay. Um, and you can do that, and then consider what the lagging skill might be, and then develop a plan to help your child grow in yeah. building that skill. So, you know, if we take this this list that you can you can get from us if you're interested, and I, if I were to break it down into just a few things, um, I want you to think about these particular lagging skills um, in reference to perhaps your child or even yourself. Um, there might be difficulty in controlling impulses, right? This is mm-hmm. when a kid might mm-hmm. hit or do something and, okay, they're learning how to control their impulses. They're 
are lagging in that scale. Might be difficulty in following instruction, right? And turning their knowledge about something into action. That might be right. a struggle. They might have a struggle in regulating their emotions. Um, they might lag social skills. The last one that I want to mention here is pretty important. They might have something called cognitive inflexibility. Hmm. And in simple terms, that just means not being able to see that there are two sides to things. Right. Um, so those are things that we as parents can start to recognize, okay, this is a skill that my child is lagging in. And there are things that way we can target it and we can help grow that mm. skill so they can respond in a more helpful way. That is so good because the goal here isn't to try and be the perfect parent because that just doesn't exist. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Right. And I think for a lot of parents, there's this struggle when we start to hear about things like this. And we think, wow, like I didn't know this. I had a lagging skill in right. this parenting right. area. Um, and so I want to encourage parents, you know, there are things that you can do if you haven't parented like mm-hmm. this in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing you mentioned it earlier, Chuck, you said reparenting. Yeah. Um, and this is a whole kind of psychological phenomenon in the in the counseling world right now is this concept of reparenting. And this is where you actually take the time um, through, you know, studying or research or counseling to learn what you didn't get as a kid right. and to offer it to yourself now as right. an adult. Right. So I think some parents or some people spend their entire lives waiting for a parent of theirs to apologize and become the parent they wish they had. Right. When the whole time you have the ability as an Absolutely. adult now yep. to become that parent to yourself in a process called reparenting. You are basically speaking to yourself in the way that you wish your parent would mm. have. I love and one that. of the most beautiful parts of this, um, and in my work as a therapist, is to help clients learn how to be reparented by their Heavenly Father as well. How awesome. I love yeah. it. So another thing that we can do um, in this process is to restore our nervous system. Mm -hmm. Um, Speak to yourself in a compassionate way in those moments when your child is having a meltdown. I'm doing the best I can as a parent. I just don't know how to handle this yet, right? Um, Right. It's not easy to do this in the moment, but neither is dealing with the aftermath of punitive parenting. Right, absolutely. Um, So we're going to put in the work either way. We're going to put in the work developing these new ways of parenting, Or we're going to put in the work trying to kind of pick up the pieces of disconnection after the massive fights and relational Yeah, it's a bit of a pay me now, pay me later. Yeah, Yeah. it's hard work both ways. You get to choose which hard you're going to live. Um, The last thing that I want to talk about in this realm, and you said it earlier, Chuck, we don't have to be perfect as a parent. Um, I don't know if you have experience with parents coming in and just kind of shaming themselves about their parenting. All the time. I know that happens for me quite a bit. And I have a lot of moms who will come and they will they will say, I'm doing my best, but how do I know I'm not screwing my kid up? Yeah. Um, that's yeah. kind of a question yeah. I hear a lot. And what's fascinating, Chuck, is that there's actually research that helps um, psychologists determine Uh, the amount of support that's required for a child to develop healthy attachment. And it doesn't look like the parent doing the right thing 10 times out of 10. Mm. In fact, um, there's there's been longitudinal research that follows a child from when they're a baby until they get older, and they found that children can still have healthy attachments with their parents as adults if their parents responded to their needs correctly just Five times out of ten. Okay. So- wow. I mean, so you can you can really be 
a radically effective parent mm-hmm. getting things right five out of ten times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that is so encouraging. I think that's so encouraging, yeah, right? Absolutely. I feel like that's very encouraging. Um, and not to, you know, make become like, oh, well, I just don't care. I've, got, you know, I'm not even going to try. But the fact is, most of us and the parents who are listening to this right now and who got through this whole podcast, you are here because you are trying, right? That's right. So yeah. give yourself that grace that you're not going to always get it right. And for those other times when you don't, one of the greatest skills that our children can learn is how to forgive both themselves and other people. Absolutely. And that will be modeled in your relationship. Absolutely. I've heard you mention it's good enough parenting. That's what it's called. Yes. We want to break this perfect mother myth or perfect parent myth. And you can actually Google that and you'll find a wealth of research on good enough parenting. Absolutely. Along with that study. The idea is, especially for new parents, perfection isn't the goal. Right. And that should be welcome news for all of us. Mm -hmm. So on behalf of Julie and myself, thank you for joining us on this week's Positive Talk podcast, where we really do trust that we're giving you a real life help that has a positive perspective, Mm -hmm. not Pollyanna, but positive. And so as we merge faith and psychology, we really do believe we can all live a far more peace-filled and purposeful life. And Julie and I will be back next week for another episode of the Positive Talk podcast. And remember, you can always find all of season one and season two on the Positive Talk podcast at our website, including dropping us a voicemail about a topic you might want to hear about at PositiveTalkPodcast.com. And we'd love for you to follow us on Instagram at Positive Talk Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Go in peace and have the greatest week ever. Thanks again for joining us for this week's episode of the Positive Talk Podcast. Julie and Chuck will be back next Thursday with another positive conversation as they merge faith and psychology. Have a great day. And as always, go in peace. Go in peace.